Well, good evening, everyone. Let me encourage you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 10 in just a moment as we begin our lesson. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So good to see you. Hope everyone had a wonderful day today. It's been a beautiful day, but it's made just a little bit better by our time together with each other tonight. So thank you so much for your your attendance here tonight. And um, so apparently last night I called this congregation Lakeview a couple of times. I do remember when I was here before, I called it Lakeview, and Larry Payton took me outside and he said, look all around here, do you view a lake? And I said, no, but I don't see one by the side either. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure there's one somewhere, but that's the name of this congregation, Lakeside, and uh, I'm going to try to remember that. Thank you. Well, it's not about the name ultimately, it's you guys, but thank you so much for uh, the time here with one another. And the the, um, the kind encouragement that you've given. Um, I've said this, and Josh spoke to it just a moment ago. These these are lessons that get to the heart of what Christianity is all about. Lessons on service. Jesus in Matthew twenty three twenty three scolded the scribes and the Pharisees because he said that you tithe the mint and anise and cumin. But you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Then he said something very interesting. He said, these you should have done without leaving the others undone. That's a fascinating statement by Jesus. Because Jesus is holding on to the law and the importance of getting things right. But at the same time, he's saying those things have significance only in regard to the larger issues. And I'm challenged as I grow as a Christian to recognize that there are, even in the law of Christ, weightier matters of the law. And it's easy for us to overlook those weightier matters. Justice, mercy, and faith, those are still the weightier matters of the law. And that's what service revolves around. Our our challenge, and look, I'm a product of our fellowship. Our challenge in our fellowship is service. We are so comfortable with making sure we attend worship services and judging our faithfulness by our attendance that we've missed that there are weightier issues there, that our attendance is important, but our attendance is important in that it brings us closer to God so that we can be used by him. God wants service. And I have to tell you that for me, as a product of our fellowship and as a gospel preacher, the lesson tonight for me is probably the most challenging. And that is our service to all people. We talked on Sunday night about make me a servant of the lost. And there we were looking at it primarily from an evangelistic manner. So how do I reach out to people who are lost? And we looked at Jesus and how he did it. But tonight we're going to talk about just the idea of serving people who are not Christians. And taking opportunities to do so. God has always been concerned about those, even if they were not his children. We find as we look in the book of of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 10. The old law gave the Jews this instruction. You shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape from your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And if my study is correct... The poor would include the Jews who were poor, but the word stranger there is speaking of someone who is a foreigner. So you have to understand that even under the old law, 
God was telling the Jews, when you, when you have a harvest, don't get everything from that harvest. You leave it for people who are poor. Whether they are fellow Jews or not. One commentator said this. This is the earliest law for the benefit of the poor that we read in the code of any people. This law that God gave was the very first law that instructed the people to be concerned about the poor, whether they're part of their people or not. Then in the Gospel of Luke, you can keep your hand there, Galatians chapter 6, but just flip over to, to the Gospel of Luke. We are all familiar with this parable, the story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan and the Jew that had been, or the man who had been beaten up. And you remember in this story, Jesus was speaking to a lawyer and the lawyer was trying to trap Jesus. And we're told in verse 29 he was trying to justify himself when Jesus said that you are to love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. And so he says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, If you look in verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion he went to him and bound up his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he set him on his, on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you may spend, I will repay you when I come back. And which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So here you have this beautiful parable that Jesus gave that's about mercy and being concerned about someone else who is in need. And then the text in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 10, Paul wrote, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And we focus on that last part quite often. Who are we to do good toward? Primarily those of the household of faith. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. But perhaps we don't focus enough on the statement that Paul made there where he said, let us do good to everyone. Here's one of the things you and I need to understand. That God has always wanted his people to not only be concerned about one another, but to be concerned about everyone. There are a lot of reasons why we don't think about helping other people. And I've talked to a lot of people in our fellowship over the years, and I've asked, especially if they grew up in our fellowship, especially the non-institutional brethren, okay, us. I've asked them, do you remember when you were growing up an emphasis placed upon helping people who are not Christian? And almost to a person, Everyone says no. And that was my experience. It's really taking years of really studying the Bible to start seeing that there is a need for Christians to not only care for one another, but to care for their fellow man. 
So the first thing I think about when I begin to look at the subject is, why do we sometimes not do good to everyone? I think there are some really good reasons why we don't. The first one is what I will call doctrinal extremism. All right. And it's this. Now, what I'm about to state to you is not doctrinal extremism. What I'm about to state to you, I think, is what the scriptural teaching is. When we start looking at scripture, we do not find that the church has authority to help people who are not Christians from its treasury. There are a couple of passages we look to look at very quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for these saints. I don't know where this came from, but when I was growing up, I thought this was the collection of the saints. And I think there are probably times I heard people say that. And then when I began to actually study, I saw that it was the collection for the saints. So there, I want you to realize that the collection that the church in Corinth took up on the first day of the week was for needy saints. In the book of Romans, chapter 15, verses 25 through 26, Paul said, But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Acacia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So here's the biblical teaching. The biblical teaching is the money that we take up on the first day of the week, that we pull together with one another, biblically is used for Christians. Now that's the doctrinal teaching. And, and I, I firmly stand behind that. That's not the extremism. The doctrinal extremism is once we begin to grasp that that idea, if we're not careful, the message becomes we don't help people who are outside the church. You, You follow me there? We preach lessons, and I've been guilty of this, where we talk and talk a lot about that money is not to be used for people who are not Christians. And the message that we may be sending is, as Christians, we don't help people who are not Christians. And I hope you see from Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, at the very least, that is not what the Bible is teaching. As a child of God, while I may not use, while the church may not use those funds to help out non-Christians, that does not mean that as a Christian, I am not concerned about people who are not Christians. I, as a Christian, have to be deeply concerned about them. Galatians 6, 10 reminds us of that. In Acts chapter 3, verse 6, We find a little story that involved Peter and John. They were going to the temple. They come across a man who is in need. And he asked for alms. He asked for help, financial help. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, this is a fascinating verse if you begin to think about it. We know from Acts chapter 2 that people were already helping fellow Christians. So it's not like the church as a whole didn't have funds that it was collecting to help out needy saints. But when Peter comes to this man who is not a Christian, Peter does not say, hey, look, I don't have any cash on me. But if you go down the street and hang a left, there's a group of people and they've got a lot of funds. They'll help you. He didn't say that. What he said was silver and gold I do not have. So Peter understood that there is an individual responsibility that we have. To help people who are in need. So first of all, I want to challenge you to ask yourself, have I been helping out people who are, who are not Christians? And if I haven't been, 
is one of the reasons because I've got it in my mind somewhere that because we don't use these funds on the Lord's Day to help people out who are not Christians, somehow that means as a Christian, I can't do that. That's wrong. It's not what Scripture teaches. Second reason why we may not help people who are not Christians. Skepticism. There are a lot of shysters in the world, right? People, where was I? I was with someone here the other day, and they said that um, someone called... And they said, um, you, know, you answer, and they said, Grandma. Okay? And this happened to my parents. So someone calls, and they try to act like they're their grandchild, and I need money. And they're probably going to be hung up on uh, ten times um, out of, uh, you know, nine times out of uh, ten tries. But the, all they need is one person, you know? And those are rotten individuals. Those are lousy people. I mean, you, you've got to be, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel if that's the way you're living your life. There are people who are like that. And that turns me off. I see people sometimes, I see these guys by the side of the road, and I've got this really, really cynical side of me, and I'm thinking like, you could work if you wanted to. You could, do you know you could? You know, and I just keep my eyes looking forward until one time after I've been studying, I really began to feel guilty. Now, I want to walk into this very carefully. I'm not saying that we need to be stupid. I'm not saying that we don't need to use wisdom. Some of those guys on the side of the road, they may be shysters. What I am saying is this, and I'm speaking for myself. I have used that skepticism to keep myself from helping anybody sometimes. And I'm pretty sure that's not good. I'm pretty sure that there have probably been people who are genuinely in need. And I walked away and I didn't help them. And I've had to do some repenting over that. Here's one of the realizations an older preacher told me. Because um, I get a lot of phone calls up at the church building for people who have needs. And... Uh, I had like 30 questions I was nailing them on one time. And I'd just pull out my list and just go through those 30 questions. For good reason. Okay? But an older preacher told me one time, he said, Mark, you know, if that person is taking you, that's between them and God. God's going to deal with them. Do you want to be in the position where someone was actually in need and because they didn't answer your 30 questions right, you didn't help them? Again, I I can't speak for you. But I can say that I have been in the position where I've been looking for a reason not to help somebody. And I think that once we get to that point, we're really getting in a very, very dangerous position. I know 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says, If a man won't work, neither let him eat. And I've been in the same position as many of you. You know, someone can get a job if they want to. And then I actually started working with someone who was homeless. You know what I discovered? If you're homeless, it's really hard to get a job. It's hard to fill out an application because you don't have a home address. Now, I'm not saying that's insurmountable. But I'm saying for this um, this white kid who grew up in a middle-class family who is used to working and instilled with a strong work ethic, uh, with a mom and dad who are stable. I've had to rethink how I look at other people sometimes, and I have to realize other people didn't have some of the advantages I had. 
And sometimes people that I think are lazy aren't lazy. They're just struggling to find a job. So we need to make sure that we're not too careful. And sometimes you're going to have to take a chance. And you can take a chance in in some good ways. Someone suggested to me today that their mom gave out bottles of water or they gave out little Debbie's cakes. Um, that's something you can do. And, and, you know, you're not giving them money that they could go out and buy alcohol if you give them water. But I don't think about that very much. And I need to start thinking about that more. There are people who are genuinely in need. And I can't let my skepticism get in the way. In Hebrews 13, verse 2, the Hebrew writer said, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, you think about that passage for a few minutes. And the, the literalist in us say, well, you know, obviously that's not literal. Um, it's probably not, but what if it is? What if it is? Okay. So, don't be so skeptical that you stop doing good for others. Elitism. Sometimes we think we're better than other people. I guess the text in Scripture that we'd look to is the text found in James chapter 2. Open your Bibles there. In James chapter 2, James presents a scenario by which a man comes into the assembly, verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say... You sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Sometimes we can look at other people and we can think, well, I'm better than they are. I've worked harder than they have. If they worked as hard as I've worked, they would be in a better position. If they prepared themselves, they went to school, they went to trade school. If they did what I've done, they would be able to take care of themselves. Ergo, I'm not going to help them. Now, I understand all the reasoning because I've said all those things. But I'm also understanding when I look at a text like this. That there are some people who are in need and my role is not to look down upon them. You remember well what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18. Where he talked about the Pharisee who was over here and he was puffed up and talking about how godly he was. And then there was the lowly tax collector over here and he was beating himself up. I don't know about you, but I probably more times than I would like to admit, probably been more identified with the Pharisee. I see people who could do more. At least I think they could do more. And I don't have mercy on them. Can I give you a passage that when I really grasped this passage, it shook me to the core as a Christian? Open your Bible to James chapter 2, verse 13. James 2, verse 13. Here James says, For judgment is without mercy... To the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Did you get that one? Judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Raise your hand if you need mercy. It's okay. Raise your hand. Everybody have your hand up. I need mercy. I need mercy every day. James is telling me under inspiration. 
that if I'm to receive mercy from God, I have to show mercy to someone else who's in need. That's a tough one. I was conditioned to be very judgmental of other people. But the word of God, when we let it sink in and do its thing, it begins to undo that. So, don't be an elitist. Understand that in the church there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave or free or male or female. We're all one in Christ. And the attitude that is displayed in the church is the ideal for all mankind. So let's stop thinking that we're better than someone else just because we've worked harder or accomplished more. And let us make sure that we never allow racism to be the thing that keeps us from helping someone else. We are still struggling with the effects of racism in our society. And beloved, it is still found in the church. And that is a shame. Racism should not be found among Christians. And yet it is. In John chapter 4, verse 9, Jesus ran across someone who expected racism from him. The woman of Samaria said to him, when Jesus interacted with her, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And then John throws this in this commentary, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Back in November, I mentioned the other day, my mom was in the hospital. And there was a black couple that we sat next to. She was in the critical care unit, ICU, for about two weeks. She got in on a Tuesday. On Wednesday night, this family came in. Their son had been shot four times at the door to their house. So for two weeks, I was there for a week before I had to leave. But for a week, um, I was talking to them a lot. And you know what? They were black. They hurt just like I hurt. They wept over their son just like I wept over my mom. And they were very kind to my dad. Very kind. The night that my mom passed, she passed away about 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, We were back in the, the back critical care unit room and we left Everybody's asleep. This is a critical care unit. There's like a hundred people in this room. And everyone's asleep in chairs. And this family who had been so nice to us, they were over to the side. It's three o'clock in the morning by this point. I I wanted to tell them, but I wasn't going to wake them up. My oldest brother, Jay, said, I'm going to go tell Marcus and Michelle. So he goes over there. Now, my father is an 88-year-old white man from Mississippi. And he has struggled with some of the baggage that goes with being an 88-year-old white man from Mississippi. But this couple, 3 o'clock in the morning, when my brother Jay told them, they came and they met us in the hall. And they hugged us. And they wept with us. And Michelle hugged my dad. My dad hugged her. Because we're all human beings who bleed red and all have souls. And it would be nice if the world got that. But how in the world can we expect the world to get it when we don't? 
when we still look at people of other races and we don't reach out in kindness to them, we've got to check our feelings within our hearts and really ask ourselves, am I struggling with this? So we need to stop thinking the worst of races and we need to stop drawing lines with other people because they're not like us. And maybe you identify with one of these reasons. Maybe one of these reasons has stopped you in the past from doing good. So I want to just offer for you several practical things that you and I can do to serve other people. And these aren't difficult at all. They're things that all of us can do. And the first one is, and we sort of danced around this in a couple of other lessons, but the first one is we've got to make sure we love people. Be careful how I say this. In standing for truth, if we're not careful, we can begin to draw adversarial lines with other people who disagree with us. So I start seeing someone who is doctrinally wrong as my enemy instead of as my fellow man who may be wrong. And I'm not saying we compromise with truth at all. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is when I start seeing you as my enemy... And I start seeing you because you're not a Christian like me and you don't worship God the way I do. And I I see you as my enemy. That makes it difficult for me to love. So here's the simple thing we start doing. Start looking at other people and we start loving them. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 again, we find this statement. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus God made everyone the same. Doesn't matter what country you come from, what state you come from, what race you are. Within the church, we are supposed to embrace everyone as the same because that's the way God wants us to deal with everyone. Paul said this in Romans chapter 13, uh, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. I don't see any of that, anything in that text that tells me that that is solely related to the church. My obligation, your obligation. Just love people. Love the people at work. Love the people at school. Love the people who are like you. Love the people who are not like you. Love the people who are making wise decisions with their life. Love the people who are making stupid decisions with their life. Love people. Why? Because God loves people. Right? God loves people. God so loved the world. Does this have a biblical tune to it? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God cares for people. And we are the ones who are made in God's image, right? We are supposed to represent him. Paul said in Romans 8 verse 28, we are conformed to the image of his son. Part of that conforming is a desire to love other people. Because we are made in his image, because he loves all, we are to love other people also. In Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28, Jesus said, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. So you and I need to look for opportunities to express love to people as you're in the grocery store, as you're at work, to your neighbors around you, whether they're members of the Lord's church or not, 
to be there for them, showing kindness to them, showing respect to them, loving them because they are made in the image of God. And they need your love. Here's the second thing. We need to look for opportunities to give. Again, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Therefore, as you have opportunity. That's an important phrase. We may not always have opportunity. And we may not always have the same opportunity. But as you have opportunity, do good to everyone. Look for those opportunities. And again, I'll point to myself. My problem in the past is I've not looked for those opportunities. Because I didn't think about non-Christians. I thought solely about my responsibility to give on the first day of the week week, and help my fellow Christians, but I did not think enough about helping people who are not Christians. So a lot of opportunities passed me by. We need to be prepared for opportunities like this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Paul said this, Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, That he may have something to give him who has need. That's a big text, isn't it? What what do we usually think about doing when we get a raise? What can I buy now, right? I can get a new car. I can get a bigger house. I can get a boat. I'm not saying it's wrong to get any of those things. Don't think that's what I'm saying. But here in particular... Paul lays out a very biblical thing you and I can do. That is, put that money aside so that we can help other people. When they come across a time and they are in need within their life, there are natural disasters that take place. You've seen them. Tornadoes that come through. Maybe you've known Christians or non-Christians who have been affected by some of those. When you hear of a disaster... Do you think about some charity that you can give to? Now, I've learned over the years never to give a list of charities that people can give to. Because sadly enough, whenever I start listing charities, I will inevitably have a Christian who will come to me and tell me some reason why they can't give to this charity, or they can't give to that charity, or this one, or this one. And at the end of the day, there's no charities to give to. And we walk away going, well, I just can't give to anybody. Wrong. Just because 20 cents on a dollar goes to administrative fees, we're going to keep 80 cents on a dollar away from people who are in need? Are you willing to stand before God one day for that one? I'm not. I'm not going to advocate a particular group. But I will say that as a child of God, I have a responsibility to help people who have gone through horrible disasters. And so when you have some funds set aside, look for a charity you feel comfortable with and send money to that charity and help your fellow man when they're in need. Maybe sometimes you go to a convenience store and I see them from time to time. There's a little bucket over here and it's got a picture of a little girl on it and she's got leukemia or she's got some kind of disease and they're trying to raise money for that child. I don't know. Child's a Christian or not. I don't know if their family are Christian. But there's someone who's hurting. And God has brought me into that situation. So look for those opportunities and help and volunteer. I know a lot of Christians who volunteer for different groups up in Louisville. 
Um, one, I probably shouldn't mention this, but uh, Habitat for Humanity. They build houses for people. You know. Now, I don't do that, but there's another organization in Louisville that I do volunteer for. Uh, there's an organization where um, it's called uh, Safe Place, and so children who are um, being abused at home or it's not safe at home, they can go to McDonald's or the grocery store and there's a little sign and they go in there and say, hey, I need a place to go. And they contact Safe Place and Safe Place has volunteers who go and pick these kids up and take them to the place. I do that. And there are probably a, a lot of other things that I could do. What I'm saying is start thinking about what obligation do I have towards people who are out in the world that I, I may not interact with and what can I do? There are a lot of organizations that need people to take meals to older people. It's a great thing to do. So, first of all, start developing a greater love for those people who are around you instead of being so self-righteous and so critical and so judgmental. Love. Number two, give. Number three, pray. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul said, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men. Everybody, pay attention to two words in particular, supplications and intercessions. As you read through commentaries, there's a lot of talk as to... How do you break all these individual things down? The supplications, prayers, intercessions, the giving of thanks. What's the difference between prayers and supplications and intercessions? And I want to move all past that and just look at those two words. Supplications are when we come to God and we make requests for somebody. We are, we are coming before him and we are praying for their good, for something to happen to them. For all men, not just fellow Christians. And intercession is when I come and I plead a case for someone else. I'm interceding. Do we do this for Christians? Well, we should. But here, Paul said, we do it for all men. Your neighbor who's going through cancer. Well, I don't know if I can pray for them because they're not a Christian. Of course you can pray for them. What is wrong with us? If we're suggesting for a moment that I'm not sure if I can pray for that person. Of course you can pray. Paul tells you to pray. Pray for everybody. If you come across someone and they're living an ungodly life, intercede for them. Pray for those people. Offer up supplications and prayers. Prayer is one of the most powerful things we can do for someone else. And we can step into their life. I said, I think last night... Sometimes we say, well, what can I do for her? Well, just pray for me. Prayer is never adjust. Prayer is a powerful thing. Prayer is something that God, when we ask God to step into the lives of someone else, are our own life, and God listen to, uh, listens to us, and God helps. So pray for someone else and step into the life and do that. And just sort of going back to what we said Sunday night as we wrap the lesson up, we need to teach people. We need to look for opportunities. And I said this then, I'll say it again just to reinforce this idea. We need to stop being so judgmental and we need to stop separating other people who are not like us and trying to feel better about ourselves and where we stand with God because I'm not one of those people. Luke, again, Pharisee, 
tax collector. And when do you start caring about people enough to teach them? What about, what about the person at work who's just an awful person? They curse all the time. You need to teach them. They may persecute us. Like Paul and Silas were persecuted in prison. But they need the gospel. They may view us as heathens and we may view them as heathens. But they need the gospel. They may be really important people in the community. They may be the dregs of society. But they need the gospel. So one of the greatest things you and I can do is just look for those opportunities to start sharing the points that we learned the other night, living like Jesus and being kind to other people regardless of who they are so that we may, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 and verses 21 through 22, win those who are without the law. Reaching out to other people. Let me ask you as we close to open your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. David had established his kingdom. And things had come together really, really well. David understood that he had been blessed by God. And if you look in verse 1, we read this. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, Listen to this. Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And what, was Paul, what was David saying? David had been a shepherd boy. He had been out with sheep. He'd been fighting lions and bears. Now he's the king of all Israel. He is in a cedar house. He has a crown on his head. He is now blessed with riches. David knew that God had been kind to him. And what was David's greatest desire at this point? I want other people to experience God's kindness. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about when you and I really just are overwhelmed at how kind God has been to us. Picking up this biblical concept and saying, I want to be kind to other people. And I want to show other people the kindness of God. Will you do that? Can I do that? Can we not only be servants of God and try to teach the lost? Can we not only be servants of one another? Can we be servants of everyone? So God wants out of us. We are made in his image. He calls upon us to do that. I hope you'll think about that. I need to think about that a lot too. If you're not a Christian, you can become one this evening. Water is ready. If you're ready to accept the charge given by Peter in Acts chapter 2 verse 38... When he was asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And that day, 3,000 people were baptized. You can be baptized this evening. All your sins can be washed away. If you're a child of God, 
Maybe you're not living the way you should in some area of your life. Maybe in this one tonight, as you've opened up the Word of God and you've heard the Word of God, you're, you're thinking right now, I need to do a better job helping other people. I want to help my fellow Christian, but I need to do a better job helping my fellow man. I need to think about this more. You can change your life. Be more of who God wants you to be. If you need prayers, we'd love to pray with you. Whatever your need is this evening, we invite you to come now. While we stand, while we sing for you.